Welcome to episode 105 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversation with Sycamore trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players by going to sycamore.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partners and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is Comcast. Comcast creates incredible technology and entertainment that connects millions of people to the moments and experiences that matter most. You can find out more about how they support the military-affiliated population by going to corporate.comcast.com forward slash impact forward slash military. On today's episode, I'm featuring a conversation with the Honorable Patrick J. Murphy, America's first Iraq War veteran elected to Congress and the 32nd Undersecretary of the Army. He's a former prosecutor, board chairman, and is now a Wharton Business School lecturer, Emmy Award-winning producer, and senior managing director at Ancura, one of the top management consulting companies in the world. He is also the chairman of Task Force Movement, a group of dedicated individuals who are bridging the gap between policy and the pavement by creating pathways to connect military families to industry with good-paying, family-sustaining careers. Find out more about Patrick by checking out his bio on our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. So Patrick, you've had a varied career of service to your country, both in the military and as an elected official, and continue to be involved in causes that support your fellow veterans and their families. Before we get into that and the work that you're doing, it'd be great to hear a bit about your background from the military to Capitol Hill and why these efforts are so important to you. Hey, Dwayne, it's good to be on with a fellow Army veteran and also a fellow paratrooper with the All-American Division. Appreciate what you do and appreciate what you do for Psych Armor. I'm a huge, huge fan of the group. As you know, I was on the board and I think Tina and the team there are phenomenal. To me, it's simple. I come from a military family. I never thought, though, it would be a career like it was for me. I did ROTC at a small Catholic college called King's College. It's in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, where I played hockey for all four years. And this is before 9-11. Although my dad was enlisted in the Navy and my brother also did ROTC through the Air Force, it was peacetime. I didn't know what would become of it, but I was blessed enough to be asked to join the faculty at West Point, taught constitutional military law there, which I just thought was an awesome experience, especially for a blue collar kid from Philadelphia like I was. Uh, and I was there though when 9-11 happened. So, Dwayne, the reason why I'm so committed to my brother and sister veterans and why I've devoted my life to it is because I deployed to combat twice and I had lost 19 men in our unit, our brigade combat team with the 82nd Airborne Division. And it just, it hurt my heart, it hurt my soul, and I was willing to try and make a difference. So I came back and got in political public service, became the first Iraq War veteran elected to Congress, wrote the GI Bill, wrote the repeal of the Donetsk Hotel policy, and just worked my ass off to tell my brother and sister veterans. I think that's definitely an amazing life of service. I think it's always interesting to me when I meet service members whose military careers span both pre and post 9-11. I had served probably for about nine and a half years. I was in Germany on 9-11. And so I think that we have a different perspective. Like you said, when you joined, it was peacetime. And when I joined, it was after the Gulf War. And you'd think that I'm going to do my stint and get out. And then life really changed on 9-11 and the military really changed pre and post 9-11. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, the army opened up so many doors for me 
But on, on 9-11, I knew I had to get in the fight. I had already been in airport school and air assault school. I was getting ready for ranger school. I had lost friends that were murdered on 9-11 in New York and in, in the towers. And to me, it was my duty to go get involved and get in a fight. You know, I spent my time in the military to, to go do that. To me, it, it changed me as a person. I'm a big believer in post-traumatic growth. I would never have been a, a U.S. congressman at age 33, or professor at West Point, or someone who helped lead the Army on the Pentagon. But the Army was great to me. And... I think we all have that kind of survivor's guilt. I think about pretty much every day, the 19 All-Americans that I serve with that never made it home. And I'm trying to make it count. And even the ones that did make it home, most of them have changed forever. And while I do believe in post-traumatic growth and a lot of positive things of military service, as you know, we have that ethic that we leave no one behind. And every day when we lose brothers and sisters that take their own life, that's an epidemic. We've lost more folks to suicide than the actual wars itself. And there's a lot more we need to do. No, absolutely. And I think about that concept of life after the army. I was actually was on my way to, to the, the local base here this morning and realized that it's been almost eight years since I've been out of the military. And it seems like it's gone in a flash, but it's also, I'm going to be a veteran for twice as long as I ever was a service member when I served for 22 years. And like you, the military was such a large part of our life, but then there's that big chunk of life afterwards. And like you said, you continue to try to support service members and veterans in post-military life and in, in, in different ways. And some of that, before we started talking, you started talking about the concept of veteranpreneurship or veterans in business and entrepreneurship. Yeah, I think I look at veterans from the greatest generation that came back from World War II and they didn't just win the war, but they came back home and they really drove our economy. They created incredible, global, iconic brand like Nike, the largest sports apparel company in the world, started by Phil Knight, an Army veteran. Or Comcast, served by Navy veteran Ralph Roberts, or Sam Walton, starting Walmart, the largest retailer in the world. And we should be really proud that our brothers and sisters are veterans from past generations. Of that generation, it was about half to start their own small business. Our generation, Dwayne, of Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, it's less than 5%, though, that start their own small business. So when I say I've devoted my life and I've devoted my life to my brother and sister veterans, it's in different capacities. Yeah, I wrote the GI Bill and there's about 1.1 million young Americans in college and universities using the GI Bill right now. But I was when I was in Congress. Now I'm in the private sector. We've raised tens of millions of dollars investing in veteran companies across the country to create the next Walmart, Comcast, Nike. Yeah, absolutely. And you hear that the World War II generation, they came back and like you mentioned, iconic brands or they became doctors. But I had two grandfathers in World War II. One came back and became a tailor, opened up his own tailor shop and another became a mechanic and was working as a mechanic as a solo entrepreneur. So that was the foundation of my family and built for later generations. A lot of people don't really consider that. And obviously, as you said, Phil Knight and Sam Walton, we have these big iconic brands, but hundreds of thousands of service members came back and built stronger lives for their families, as well as really establishing quality of life for the country. Yeah. And that's, and I think that's, we got to get back to veterans are incredible civic assets to this nation. Veterans are more likely to be employed than not veterans. They're more likely to vote in elections, no matter what their political persuasion is, than non-veterans. They're more likely to volunteer as little league coaches or pastors in their churches the non-veterans. So I think we should take great source of pride that our brother and sister veterans are these great civic assets. The problem is that we do live by that ethic that we leave no one behind. And I know with Psych Armor and your organization and what we're doing with Ted's Force Movement and others, we got to make sure that we create opportunities 
especially during that transition time when people do fall through the cracks. And every year we have just under a quarter million active troops become veterans. We got to take care of them and the military spouses as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard many people say that in some ways, veterans, especially as you were talking about current era veterans, post 9-11 veterans coming out now, may be uniquely suited for entrepreneurship, the flexible thinking that's involved, the, the doing a lot with the very little resources like, like we had to do sometimes when we were deployed. There are a lot of characteristics that, that especially current era service members have that lend itself to entrepreneurship. Right. And that's why spearheading this effort as the chairman of Task Force Movement and Task Force Cyber to make sure that we rally not just the public sector, but the private sector and the public-private partnership to drive opportunities to meet some of the greatest challenges that our country's facing. When we had COVID, our supply lines were really, really vulnerable. We couldn't get supplies to, frankly, the stores that we needed, baby formula, et cetera. And, you know, we, we had veterans who led the way leading convoys of trucks down and distributing the, you know, the baby formula across this country. And part of that was we're 80,000 truck drivers short. So it's 80,000 folks that don't have their CDL commercial driver's license. So we just launched at the White House this past April and we launched Task Force Movement. It has now expanded into Task Force Cyber, but it was there with President Biden and Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who, as you know, is a Navy veteran, launching, saying, hey, veterans, can you please help us stand up? And you're not going to fill all 80,000 truck drivers that we need right now, but the desperate need that we need veterans to lead the way once again across America. So we've already, in the middle of distributing over $9 million in scholarships. We launched a drive to 500 with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and Indeed, getting 500 veterans, getting them through the process of getting their CDL license. A CDL license joining, by the way, cost about eight to $10,000 per. So it was just great expedited program that's been very successful. And then we were at Secretary Pete Buttigieg you know, months later, launching $2.9 million in Department of Transportation scholarships for veterans and underserved communities. Uh, we got foundations like the Justin Muir Foundation to step up. And, and I think one of the greatest things, Dream, is that we actually gave a, an actual truck, a brand new truck, to an Iraq war veteran named Ashley Viva. And she's a single mom. She got a brand new Kentworth T680 truck. It's phenomenal. We were there at the Chamber of Commerce with her and the Kentworth executives and a company called Fastport and some others really showing folks, hey, you can be an entrepreneur as a truck driver. You can average starting salaries $7,000. Those initiatives aren't just in some vacuum. It is really all hands on deck in a public awareness campaign because most folks think if you're an American truck driver, that you're going to be gone for days on end, that you're an over-the-road truck driver. When that's not the case, the majority of truck drivers are actually home for dinner every night. They're a truck driver for Amazon or FedEx or UPS or even a big rig, but they're back in time to have dinner with their family. There's a public awareness, public perception campaign that we launched around American truckers, and we're proud about it, and we got a lot more work to do. I appreciate that effort too. I often tell folks, I have a cousin, he joined a UPS working on the dock the day I joined the military 22 years later. He owns two or three trucks and lives in a house four times as big as mine. So in, in a lot of people think about, as you were talking about, there are certain stereotypes, people settle for that job, or there's certain judgment they have related to just generally truck drivers, so to speak, but they don't realize not just how lucrative, but how satisfying it can be to be such a critical part of the infrastructure of our country. No doubt. And I think as we talk about this, it's, it's not just about truck drivers too. It's about 
cybersecurity professionals. And that's why we lost a few months later at the American Legion Conference this past August. We launched Test for Cyber, which is an offshoot of Task Force Movement, but Test for Cyber is saying, hey, we're 40,000 cybersecurity professionals short in the federal government, and we're going to be 3.5 million cybersecurity professionals short globally in the next two years. These are high-paying jobs. Veterans are perfect to go into cybersecurity. Why? Because, frankly, they already have the skills and training, but they also have their security clearances. I listened to your last podcast with the great Marine, uh, Jason, who's doing great work out there. There's a lot more we need to do because when you look at after COVID, and I don't know if a lot of folks know this or not, but cybercrime increased 600% in our country. And there's a lot more we got to do to protect not just our military, not just the Pentagon and Department of Defense, but protect American businesses out there that are being attacked from foreign adversaries trying to hurt our own economy here in America. And I think there's this effort, as you were talking about education, to help veterans understand that, one, there's these opportunities, both in transportation and in cybersecurity, that they may not have been aware of. Truck drivers in the Army may, and I know quite a few of them that went on and they became transportation professionals in post-military life, and like Jason, cyber professionals. So people that are in those career fields make that shift, but that's not something that, say, an infantryman or a medic or a helicopter mechanic may not think that these careers may be for them because they don't have any background in it. Yeah, and that's why, like, my day job, frankly, Dwayne, is I'm a senior managing director at a company called Anchor. Anchor is a, it's a world-class MDR, and MDR is a managed detection and response provider. So, you know, we represent Peloton and Meta and, and Chick-fil-A and Ford uh, Motor Company. But we also launched things like the Brooklyn Cyber Center, where we're actually educating young Americans, most without a college degree, on how to get their cybersecurity certifications, how they could join our ranks and be cybersecurity professionals, protect our companies and protect our nation. Yeah, and I think that's the critical aspect of a lot of this is the things that you're talking about, the shortages, both in our cyber professionals and our transportation and supply chain professionals. People, they hear it, but they, they, they don't realize. I don't know if it's just the, the number's too big or it's not part of their daily life until uh, obviously, as you said, things start to impact us. But really, the efforts of task force movement and task force cyber, like you said, it's not just about financing. It's really about education and raising the awareness about these issues. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, Dwayne, I appreciate you having us on your podcast. And you've been so active. And PsychArmor is such an incredible partner. We launched it in April. We'll be getting after it to American Legion in August. We were at the CCME conference in New York City and Times Square. But last December, we were back at the White House again. And, you know, we had your CEO, Tina Adderall there. You were saying, hey, what can I do to roll up my sleeves and be part of the solution here? And so this is a real grassroots effort. We're really trying to make sure that we can expand programs like SkillBridge. We have 330 companies in the transportation industry that are now in the SkillBridge program. Power Defense is stepping up there. I told you about the over $9 million in scholarships that are out there. And then we're really trying to drive the narrative like we, we know what we need to do. I think that's amazing. And we look forward. We're going to be having a couple more representatives from Task Force Movement on in a couple of future episodes and really look to have a series of diving deep into a lot of these issues. So if people wanted to find out more about Task Force Movement and the work that's being done, Task Force Cyber, how can they do that? Yeah. Well, a couple of things. People could follow me on social media. I'm also posting all the time. I actually reach it at Patrick Murphy PA and whether it's follow me on LinkedIn or Instagram, Twitter, 
So that's at Patchwork PA, where they can go to our website. The Task Force Movement website is taskforcemovement.org. That's taskforcemovement.org. And they can get great intel from there. That's excellent. And I will make sure that all of those links are in the show notes. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Dwayne. Appreciate it. Whatever I can do to be helpful, brother, you let me know. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, Comcast. Comcast creates incredible technology and entertainment that connects millions of people to the moments and experiences that matter most. Find out more about how they support the military-affiliated population by going to corporate.comcast.com forward slash impact forward slash military. I've said it before, but Patrick highlighted it in this conversation again. I truly believe that this current generation of veterans has the potential to impact this century the way the post-World War II generation impacted the last century. Post-9-11 veterans are a fraction of the number of service members from that conflict, but we have the technology that can amplify our voice and our impact. Consider this. The next commander-in-chief with military service will likely come from the post-9-11 generation. The next Supreme Court justice with military experience will likely come from this generation. More and more veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan are serving in public office, everywhere from local communities to governor's offices and the halls of Congress. You'll start to see the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies come from this generation. You will start to see the next group of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies with military background come from this generation. And again, as Patrick mentioned, some of the most iconic brands that will be developed in the next 30 years will be the result of the hard work of post-9-11 veterans. At the same time, veterans of this generation have the potential to be drivers of civic engagement in the national economy. My grandfathers didn't come back from World War II and become doctors and win Nobel Prizes. They went to work to build solid lives for their families through consistent effort. Patrick talked about the honor of being a professor of constitutional law at West Point, coming from his blue-collar Pennsylvania upbringing. I'm the son of a seamstress and a security guard, with a family full of tradespeople, teachers, and farmers. Like Patrick, the military gave me opportunities beyond anything that I might have imagined growing up. Post-9-11 veterans have the potential to have significant impact, much for the better, and not just because of the experiences of serving in Iraq and Afghanistan, but for the diversity and breadth of this group of veterans. The oldest veterans of the global war on terror, the senior leaders on 9-11, were from the Vietnam generation and are in their late 60s or early 70s. The youngest veterans of the global war on terror were born after 9-11 and are likely approaching their mid-20s at this point. That's a 40-year span of combat veterans and ones that saw consecutive multi-theater conflict on a scale not known since World War II. This is a more diverse group of veterans when it comes to gender, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic, and just about every category you can think of. Over 70% of women veterans are under the age of 55, and likely not only veterans themselves, but caregivers for other veterans, or caregivers for older parents who are also caring for their children. This is the generation that finally saw the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which Secretary Murphy had a significant part to play in, and combat specialties are now open to all. Sure, I'm from that generation, and so is Patrick, so maybe we're biased. But this can be a rallying cry, a projection of hope that this generation can engage in their communities and serve the way the post-World War II generation did, and that together we can grow and thrive. The other point that I'd like to make is that with Task Force Movement and Task Force Cyber, there are a lot of great opportunities out there for military and veteran spouses. But opportunities are only beneficial if people are aware of them. Again, as Patrick said in the conversation, much of what Task Force Movement and Task Force Cyber are doing is educating people about the situation the shortage of transportation workers, and the shortage of cybersecurity professionals. 
but it's also educating them about how personally beneficial these jobs can be, both in terms of career security as well as pay and benefits, and about how beneficial these jobs can be to our community and, yes, to our economy. Awareness is key, but a path forward is also critical. When I was in high school, the idea of college after high school was always a thing. I was aware that that was a pathway, but no one in my family had ever graduated college before, and I didn't really have a way forward, and I realized fairly quickly that I had no way to pay for it. Then when the military came to my awareness as an option, you better believe that folks helped show me the path forward, from the recruiters to the drill sergeants and beyond. What I'm saying here is that gold is only valuable if it's discovered. Until it's uncovered, it's just a hunk of metal in the ground somewhere. The true value and the opportunities being provided by Task Force Movement and Task Force Cyber is in their usage. So if you're listening to this and you're in a position where you engage with veterans frequently, you might consider sharing these opportunities with them so they can find the value in them as well. As I mentioned, this is the first in a series of episodes that we're going to be having featuring the work of Task Force Movement, so stay tuned to hear more about this great work. Hopefully you appreciated my conversation with Patrick. If you did, we would appreciate hearing from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's PsychArmor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the PsychArmor course Becoming Job Ready, part of the Comcast Internet Essentials course series. With the widespread use of the internet, the job market has changed drastically. What used to be pounding the pavement to look for a job has now become pounding the keyboard. You can find a link to the course in our show notes. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app, as well as on psycharmor.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care. And it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you thought about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Much appreciation to the team at PsychArmor that makes the show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track, outstanding guest coordinator, and support and transcripts by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share this show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.